morning. It's been two years since I've been up here. It's, uh, it's not getting any easier, I'll tell you. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, we took the Basicers uh, seniors down to Oklahoma City to the boathouse area. If you've seen this, it's really quite incredible. They take... Uh, water from the Canadian River, pump it into this simulated whitewater rafting area, and you can whitewater raft, kayak. Uh, part of the Canadian River, you can paddleboard and kayak there as well. They have simulated surfing, so you got to see some. I didn't try that. That was no way. Um, but you stand on a little kind of half surfboard thing and surf. Um, and then they have this really tall... It's like five stories, I believe. Five-story rope course, and at the top, there's a zip line that takes you across the Canadian River. Now, James can attest to this because I talked to him about it later. He did it as well. There's a moment when you're all harnessed up, and they click you into the line, and you have to stand on a box to get you high enough to, to be clicked on the line. And then they open the gate, and there's nothing but thin air and an 80-foot drop and just a zip line. And I told, I told James later, there's a split second that if you don't just go, you won't. So this morning, that split second was right about there. So now we're, we're all cruising across the Canadian River. So... Um, in all honesty, this lesson was not hard to come up with at all, um, but I hope the presentation works out well. Uh, Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that this morning this message comes across clearly. Lord, it, it was inspiring to me when you brought it to me. Lord, it was confirmed in my heart. Lord, you have been faithful to work this in my life through these last few weeks preparing for this time. And Lord, I just pray that the message is absolutely clear. Lord, that it is an encouragement to those that need it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, this message was not hard to come up with at all because it was really set before me on a Monday before an elders meeting with a decision that came from the Supreme Court. It was, had just been brought out. Of course, it had been leaked months before. And, of course, we saw how much strife came out of protests and how many people just absolutely went nuts. You know, the, the Supreme Court, uh, the justices were doxxed. You know, the people showed up at their houses. They harassed their families. They harassed the, the associates that worked for them. It was just, it was a really terrible time. It was unprecedented in our democracy for what, what happened. And then the actual decision came down. It was overturned. And we saw leaders of our country calling out those in the pro-life movement as the enemy. They made it very clear where they stood. People like Kamala Harris, people like Nancy Pelosi, uh, uh, Senator Warren, they literally came out and said that th 
you know, you're taking away our rights, and we will fight you on this. There are other more militant ones that came out, like the group Jane's Revenge. I believe Bill mentioned in a sermon of his, Jane's Revenge is a militant pro-abortion group, and they said if Roe is not safe, then you, pointing to the church and the pro-life movement, you are not safe. But what about the joy that comes from the decision to go pro-life, or at least to return it to the states to choose pro-life? You know, in my lifetime, it's just constantly been this, it's, it's law, what can we do about it? We can certainly fight for our rights, that's, uh, for our voting rights, to vote those in that we think agree with us. We can certainly support programs like MEND and crisis pregnancy centers and things that are pro-life oriented. But now, with the Supreme Court decision, there's stuff we can actually do that seems with, has a lot more weight. It means that all the pro, uh, politicians that say they're pro-life, now we can tell them to prove it. With our vote, we can go and and research who really is pro-life, who isn't just saying it. Because what's really, really saddening to me was how many Christians, how many religious organizations, and how many, honestly, pastors of major denomination, or uh, think of one particular pastor out of the Atlanta area that stood up and told his congregation, God is pro-choice. It's like, you know, we used to have to fight the other side, it seemed. But with the decision, now we actually have a lot more control in this, a lot more voice in this, and now we have to kind of fight our own side and and vet those among us. And so in, in the joy of this being overturned and the joy of seeing, you know, we have a chance at, at fighting this and we can vote this and we can change in our state, our state is on the right side of this for the most part. Uh, we need to keep pressing for it. But then there's also work to do. In our meeting the following morning, the elders met and we discussed this and we talked about, you know, there's more we can do now. There's a lot of great things. And it just welled up in me the answer that I had the morning before as I was praying about it. And it's like, rely on God. That's the only thing that's really going to get us through this. He's faithful. Let's put our faith in him. Because the deal is, we can fight, we can vote, we can march, we can attend to those that need our help, and we should, but it's God that makes the change. So as I sitting in that meeting and thinking about it and discussing it back and forth, it was just, it kept coming back. This is, this is something that you must do, is rely on God in these times. Bill contacted me a few uh, maybe hours later, maybe maybe up to a day, but he said, John, uh, you know, we've got an opening. Would you be willing to speak? And immediately it was just revealed that's what you're speaking on. So that's why it's not hard this morning to bring this message. Hopefully the message comes across clearly to you guys. So in thinking about 
you know, how do we rely on God? How, how do we see this battle ahead of us and being reliant on Him? If you've been equated with the Scriptures for more than two minutes, God often works what He works in a nation or in a group of people. He also works out in an individual. We can clearly read in Scripture when he's talking about leading the children of Israel out of slavery into the promised land, he's talking about leading us out of sin and leading us into his kingdom. In many, many other places, he's talking about nations and groups of people, but he's really talking about us and our own experience with him, what he wants to do, what he wants to see, what he wants to warn us against. And so same in this, as I started to study you know, as a dad, I like to see the things in my kids as I teach them things, that they start getting those things, then suddenly they start teaching me back. Do you get that lesson? You know, so as I start to prepare for this message, God works on my heart. Do you get it? Do you understand how to rely on me? Do you understand what it is that I'm truly faithful, that I've got what you need? And that whatever you think you've figured out, you need to run it past what, what it says in Scripture and make sure you're lining up on me with me. So it was kind of humbling as I read, read a lot of this. Now, um, the things that I found in my own life there that I have issues with, you know, being convicted of not being so uh, reliant on God, the things that I struggle with with my own pride and the things that I have fear about. Those are the places where I find it the most hard to rely on God, or at least to not completely rely on God. When I think of what pride might look like in the abortion issue, I think of the, the many protests, the signs that we see about, um, you know, they want us to keep away from their bodies. They want us to keep away from... Uh, you know, being holier than thou, yeah, that, that choice is good for you, but we have a different way. And they think of us as just the cynical, uptight, no fun Christians. And that might be, uh, you know, that's their perception, but that's not who we should be, obviously. We should be, like Christ said in Matthew 5, be salt and light. And I think we do that through ministries like MEND, through crisis pregnancy centers and outreach and it really goes to show the absurdity of the other side's argument when we reach out and we support these women and these families that are in crisis, these you know, surprise families, if you will. When we see these things happen and we can come alongside them and give them education, we can give them training, we can give them uh, medical uh, advice and, and support them in that way, how absurd is it when the pro-abortion side comes along and says, you guys are giving out misinformation and you're tricking people. These are, these are things that Elizabeth Warren has said. You guys are being dubious and deceiving these women, thinking that they're going to get medical treatment and really you just care about you know, uh, no abortions. Um, but it is our goal to be salt and light. And that their absurdity is shown. And that happens when we don't have pride, but we go out and we do the things that God has called us. We follow his leading. 
If we neglect our responsibilities to be salt and light, then it's easy for us to go out and argue for our rights. It's easy to do those things, but then we wind up showing the other side just that we are prideful and we we fulfill that stereotype for them. But if we are salt and light, then we certainly show them for their absurdity. So pride looks like in our lives, maybe a little different. I thought of where do I have, where do I show the most pride? And I think perhaps it's in places where I, I don't want to show failure. I don't want to show weakness. I want to show that I've got it together. And so the things that I'm more um, guarded about, the things that I don't let people in, is, you know, I like to um, show that I, I'm a good father, but I struggle at times being a good father. What about a good husband? I'd love to think, I'd love for you to all think I'm the perfect husband, but don't talk to Meg about too much. <laughs> I mean, she is such a graceful woman that she has forgiven me for so much and so often. But those things that I have pride in, do I really deserve to have pride in those places? No. I need to be reliant on God for my marriage. I need to be reliant on God for my children. I need to be reliant on God for the friends that I have, for the people that I have in this congregation that, that pray and support me. So if we walk in this pride, we, come, we often become um, just self-absorbed and distracted. I would say that that's real easy to do. You really start focusing on how, how okay things are. And you get distracted by how good things are going, or perhaps how bad things are going. We can get locked into that as well. Oh, woe is me type attitudes, and then forget where our help really comes from. What we don't need to do is to return to old ways. Now, the 80s were a great decade, right? But that's come and gone. But that's what we do when we go to pride and we go to fear, is we kind of dig up the old man and we kind of go back to the old ways, the things that we think worked for us. We might think that they worked for us, but did they? King Saul, he, um, he often got distracted. He often went back to the old ways. We see in his life that through all the, the issues that he had when, when God took away the kingdom or when um, you know, Saul was telling him, it's not just that you're going to lose the kingdom, you're going to lose your life and you're going to lose your son's lives because of what you've done. It was all because he acted out of his own fear, his own self-interest, his own greed. All those things plagued him throughout his life. And instead of relying on God, he relied on himself. And that's not where we want to be. That's not, we don't want to look backward to the old ways of doing things and think that's going to solve it.
So how do we learn reliance? How do we, how do we really understand what reliance is on God? If, if it's not the old ways, if it's not just a better way of doing the old ways... I've got a little story of my own uh, learning reliance. When I was uh, about nine years old, I was with a camping group and out of our church. We'd go camping every once in a while. And at nine years old, you could go on these camping trips without your parent going. You had to have them sign the permission slip, but you didn't have uh, you didn't have to da- drag dad along with you. You got to go by yourself. One of the activities that was a part of this camping trip was repelling. And for a nine-year-old boy, that was about the coolest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> Guys climb up a, a tower. This, the one I went off was about 25 foot, which for me, I was about four foot tall, so that, you know, <laughs> it's huge. Guys climb up the tower, and they come flying off the top of that thing. They bounce a couple of times. Some of these guys, they would go down what they call Australian style, where instead of like this guy, he's facing, looking up the tower. You can go down the tower looking down, and it's like, whoa, and they just run off the tower. It's like, wow, that is the coolest thing. Well, at nine years old, you could do it. So they line you all up next to the tower, and they put a harness on you, and they give you a few basic instructions and snap a safety line on you, and they tell you, go over to the tower, and you start to climb. Now, when you touch the tower, you go up the tower. There's no backing down. There's only one way off the tower, and that's the rope. <laughs> that's all good when you're eight years old and you're walking past it. But when you're nine and now you're committed because your little hand just touched the first rung, it gets a little more real. You climb the top. The instructor takes you off the safety line and puts you on the main line that just disappears over the edge. And you're way up there. The instructor's telling you things, but you can't hear them because your heart beats just boom, 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 boom. You can't hardly see anything because you're tunnel visioning. And then suddenly, he's pushing you towards the edge backwards. You're literally walking back towards the edge, and everything I've been told by my parents is get away from the edge. Now you're being pushed towards it. Suddenly, you know, the instructor yells down to the guys, the ground crew below you, you know, on rappel, on belay, you know, safety, you know, fail safe. Uh, you know, make sure you don't die at least. But all of a sudden you start coming back to reality and you're standing with the last bit of your body, your toes touching the tower. That's it. And the instructor is looking at you and you finally understand what he's saying, lean back, sit in the harness, sit in it, put your weight in it. You let a little rope out, and your center of gravity goes out off the tower. And you realize there's nothing holding you except that rope, the hardware, and the harness. You can't back up. You can't go forward. You're reliant, completely reliant on that equipment. There's nothing I could do. I couldn't reach out and grab that tower. I'd be gone. It'd be over. 
but I could rely on the equipment and get down that tower. Now, it was the most fun I'd ever had once I got to the bottom. <laughs> but that was, that was when I learned how to really be reliant. Now, there were all kinds of things in my life before then that I was absolutely reliant on. My parents, the cars they drove, you know, being in a safe car, being in a safe house. There were all kinds of things I had to be reliant on, but I was unaware of them. And so it is in our Christian life. Perhaps we are less aware of what we have to be, that God is, uh, that we rely on God for. We must be reliant in our salvation the same way. The moment I was saved, I knew there was nothing I could do to save myself. I was absolutely a sinful person, and I had tried to be good. I knew what goodness looked like. I was raised in church. But I knew that I, there was nothing in me that could get me to heaven or save me, or get me out of the sin that I was in. I was completely reliant on Christ. And I hope that is your salvation story as well. You understood you are completely reliant on his grace. Some of the things that we might not think of, you know, if we're thinking, if we're not aware of the reliance that we have on God, perhaps we're like this guy. You know, if we're, uh, for the junior guys upstairs and in class, this is kind of a good illustration of the full armor of God. But for us, we look at this guy and think, well, he's just a cartoon. What battle is he going to win? That sword, you know, it looks like a sword, but probably couldn't cut butter. Are we reliant on God? Are we reliant on his armor? Or is our, our thought about what the armor of God is like, it's like this guy, when we know what we face, looks more like this. Now, are you going to face that with the cartoon sword and a flimsy shield? But that's really kind of what we're doing if we're still self-reliant. We're not actually picking up our, you know, we're not picking up his shield of faith. We're picking up our own version of his shield of faith if we're not reliant on him. The sword of the Spirit is, is the word of God. But how good are we with it? You know, when you face something that looks like this, you want something that looks more like this. You know? Their breastplate of righteousness stops bullets. Their helmet of salvation will keep their head together when the enemy comes down on them. And they can reach out and touch somebody with that sword. All right? So that's what we're looking for. That's what God provides for us. Real powerful equipment in the armor of God. That's what we want to be reliant on. When we look at uh, some examples of people that relied on God, the one that came to mind as reading to Johnny the other night uh, through Samuel, just, you know, hey, here's a guy you want to be like. 
We read about the many times that David was reliant on God. Thinking about when he went up against Goliath, he was given armor that looked good, that he, you know, for the most part, anybody would think, yeah, that's pretty reliable. It's the king's armor. Saul gave David his armor to go up against Goliath, but David knew that's not what I'm relying on. That's not going to work for me. Instead, he, he did rely on God, and he slew Goliath. He was constantly reliant on God, where to go, what to do, who to speak with. A really stark version of this, we were reading through Samuel 30, and this story, in researching it, a lot of people really kind of skipped over a part, and I'm going to do that this morning and see if we can catch it. This is David returning to Ziglag after the Philistine generals basically said, we don't want you to fight with us. We don't think you're trustworthy. Why don't you go home? And when he did, he got back to his village, and this is what happened. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, sons, daughters had been taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the souls of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, and the Lord said, Pursue, and you shall overtake them and recover all. All the messages that I saw about this story were geared that way. But there's a little part that I left out. It says, When David strengthened himself in the Lord, then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Now that takes a lot of reliance to ask, Shall I go and pursue them? Because the difference there isn't the fact that David said, I want to go, I'm going, are you going with me? Instead, David asked, Are you, what do you say? Am I going? Am I to go? Think about that. David had every motivation, a negative motivation that if he doesn't go and pursue these people, his men are going to stone him. I think that gets you out of bed in the morning. He's got the positive motivation of, hey, they got my stuff, and I want it back. He has every means and the ability. He's got an army of fighting men ready to go and get their stuff back. He's got ability and motivation. What's stopping him? Are we like that? There's no reason for us to not go pursue something, and so we just go do it. But do we stop and ask, shall I go? That one hit me pretty hard. There's a lot of things that I think I can do in life. 
Do I stop and ask the right question? Our other example is Christ. Christ in the temple as a boy, I have to be about my father's business. He was reliant on God from the beginning. Talk about somebody that asked, shall I go? From the beginning, Christ was always about what his father wanted him to do. He was completely reliant on him. Even to the point when it was time to go, he had all the ability, the resources, and motivations to not go to the cross. But he followed his father's will because his father was faithful and reliable. And thank God he did. What I want to press this morning is the fact that God is reliable. In our most complex, difficult, confusing world, made even worse and more dangerous by sin, If we continue to try to rely on ourselves, what we say when we go to the cross and ask for forgiveness is, Lord, would you, uh, would you erase the board and reset things and let me try again? If we're trying to be self-reliant. God, would you just, you know, maybe I'll take another run at it. You know, I, I see where I messed up. But if we're reliant on him... We're not asking him to relate, relate, um, erase the board so that we can try again. We realize that we rely on him for our salvation and there's nothing we can do to make another try at that board. That law, that board, condemns us every time. And it's only through salvation and through his grace and relying on that grace and relying on his faithfulness to do what he said to get us through this life. Even when things are wrong, even when things are bad. The Jews tried to press on the new Christians some of the laws of, of, of the Torah. Paul came against that, and he said, you can't do that. If you do that, you're taking the power out of salvation if you return to the law. But can't we do that same thing if we try to make another run at that board? If we try to rely on ourselves, we're adding issues to salvation. We can't do that. It doesn't work. We won't overcome the trials of this life through fear and pride. We think we see the right thing to do. Every time we react to the overwhelming circumstances, we just react to them. If we do that in pride and and fear, we're going to pick the wrong thing every time. We see that in the life of uh, Eli and his sons. They thought, well, surely God won't let the Ark of the Covenant be taken. We know how to deal with this. And they ran off, they grabbed the ark, they went up against the Philistines, and they died. Eli died when he heard that his sons had passed away. The ark of the covenant was taken, and the 
Israelites were further and joined into slavery and, and conquest. If we think, Lord, I know what to do, just come alongside me and help me out with it. We've started off on the wrong foot. God is faithful and reliable. The evidence of, the, of his redemption of creation is proof of that. Healing is evidence. We see that in our own lives. We see it throughout Scripture. He's redeeming his creation. He's doing what he said he would do. He's given us his Holy Spirit as a comforter and as a guide, as a teacher. He gives us his word that we might know him, that we might know that we're becoming like him. Let's not be taken by the facade that we can make weapons of our, of our own and overcome in this life. If your armor seems light compared to the battle you're in, or the enemy that you're chasing seems to be just out of reach, or the one that you're fighting seems to be just trouncing you, maybe we're relying in the wrong place. Perhaps we should back up and ask something more like, shall we go? We should ask a different question and carry different armor instead of being reliant on ourselves. Christ asked if there was another way when he faced the cross. David had all the men and the equipment that he needed. But when it came down to obeying Christ, when it came down to obeying God, they didn't trust themselves. They didn't follow their own will. They went after God. They put their faith in God. Let us do the same. Let us put our trust in God and in His armor to face the fight in our culture, in our own lives. And let's pray that our lives are further evidence of His faithfulness.